0: Hi, you're listening to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics brought to you by swan.com. Today, Andrew Henderson, the founder of Nomad Capitalist, rejoins me on the show. So for those of you who don't know, Nomad Capitalist is a business where they help individuals who are looking to do things like build international wealth, get citizenships overseas, residents overseas, and things like this. Andrew and the team also have a very popular YouTube channel. So, Andrew rejoins me and we talk about a few concepts that I think are interesting and important for Bitcoiners. Things like considering home country bias, looking beyond the headlines, and evolution in the market and citizenship, um, as well as exploring and understanding what's coming with global minimum tax and the so-called international community. And of course, we chat a little bit about their upcoming event, which I'll be attending, which is Nomad Capitalist Live. Before we begin, a reminder, Pacific Bitcoin Festival is coming back. Last year, it was a conference. This time, it's a festival put on by the team at swan.com. Now, for those of you who were there last year, I'm sure you know it was a fantastic experience. The feedback was phenomenal and it's gonna be even bigger and better this time around this is a celebration of the incredible world of bitcoin and it's a thriving community that's working together to forge an awe inspiring bright orange future there's an incredible lineup of speakers max kaiser and stacy herbert preston pish Greg Foss, Alex Gladstein, Corey Clipston, Lynn Alden, Jimmy Song, and so many more. Now, there's multiple tickets. There's the standard ticket. And of course, there is the VIP ticket. The VIP ticket offers preferred seating and viewing areas, a private lounge for networking and connection, open VIP bar access, and complimentary lunch. This is a phenomenal opportunity to come along and learn about Bitcoin or potentially bring some family or friends along to the festival. You can find the tickets over at pacificbitcoin.com. It's over in LA, October 5th and 6th. Use code Levera for a discount there and I'm looking forward to seeing you there. When it comes to sending Bitcoin on-chain transactions, I always check at mempool.space so that I can target my fee appropriately. They've got different priority levels, whether you are low, medium or high priority for that transaction and you can set the sats per byte fee accordingly. With mempool.space, you can visualize Bitcoin. So that means you can search transactions you can even search addresses you can see things like the lightning network and view lightning nodes there's even a mining dashboard there there's all kinds of statistics and things that are being updated continually because the team is just always adding new features so recently they've added that the mempool blocks are scrollable even on mobile they have a visualization of full rbf and they've got a new feature coming which is the mempool accelerator so keep an eye out for this but otherwise come and check it out over at mempool.space and now onto the show with Andrew. Andrew, it's been a while since we spoke. Welcome back. Thank you. Good to be with you. So lots of things going on. In some ways, you could say that you know the the walls are closing in. There's a global minimum tax. Is it over for nomad capitalism? You know, I, but uh, I'm sure there are opportunities out there. And I thought it would be great to just start with one common area of focus I I see. So a lot of people have this conception that where they were born or where they live is the best place, right? Best hospitals, best schools, best roads, best whatever, but they can't all be correct. Now, you have a lot of experience, right? You've been running Nomad Capitalist now for over 10 years. Do you have any insight into why that is? I imagine
1: the same reason that people I went to school with support the Cleveland Browns who went 0-16 one year. They won zero. And people still I still go on Facebook once in a blue moon and I see people tailgating outside the Browns game. Um, I mean, they're perennial losers. And yet because you're born in or near Cleveland, uh, that's your team. You know, we always kind of complain. My father was like, oh, I don't like these people who are Yankees fans in baseball. Like, oh, it's easy to support the winner. Back in the 90s, the Yankees were the winners. God, I don't follow it anymore. But he's like, I don't like these people who they just find the winner. It's like, well, wait a second. Why not? But because you're born in one place, you should support a loser. Um, I just don't believe that's true.
0: I think that's a great... I think that's a really succinct way to put it. It's find the winner. And to some extent, there are... You know, it's constantly shifting, right? So maybe it's like the winner is... You know, and, and that's just like with sports teams, just like it is potentially with countries and jurisdictions, isn't it?
1: Well, do you want to know what we hear a lot in the comments and from clients? We hear a lot of people who came from, let's say, Eastern European countries. That seems to be the big one. Where they left, some of them are a little bit older, maybe they left 30 years ago, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. And they say, you know, this is kind of becoming what we left or what my parents left in, let's say, the United States. I'm not the only one saying that. You watch some of these prognosticators on TV. They have the same conversations anecdotally with their taxi drivers, what have you. I came from Hungary. I came from Romania. I came from Bulgaria. I came from Russia. I came from Ukraine. We've had a number of folks who were like, hey, we're getting our citizenship in Canada, whatever, but this is nothing like what we expected it to be. And so I think that the bias, you mentioned the global minimum tax, right now, I mean, if you are in the boat that most of us are in, if you're not making, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars a year, that's not really going to affect you. I mean, you saw places like the UAE where they introduced a corporate tax for, for mainland companies. Um, if you, you know, fill out the forms correctly, you can, you can be in the free zones and not pay tax. I mean, places like Hong Kong still have, you know, uh, you know, two, two tiered regimes for people who are not there. So, I think that people look at the headlines. Caribbean citizenship is dead was a recent headline. If you're a Westerner, it makes, to me, rather nominal difference, some of the changes there. Global minimum tax doesn't really affect you. They see, oh, Americans are taxed no matter where they live. Yes, but you've got exclusions and exemptions. And if you're a business owner, you can defer a lot of that tax and push it away. And so what I've been focused on recently is... Uh, take the Russia-Ukraine war as a proxy. I don't want to talk about the war itself. But I want to talk about, you know, countries that, that have a certain kind of view. 15, 5 as in about 15%, 1 in 7 people in the world live in a country that's for Ukraine. Now, you can like Ukraine, and that's great. And I'm not saying I don't. Helped a lot of Ukrainians at the beginning with a place to stay. But in most parts of the world, they either don't care or they disagree with you. And those are the countries that nobody in the West, the people that watch me and that watch you, are paying attention to. In fact, they scoff at it. Indonesia. It's the fourth largest population in the world. It's growing. By the way, forget the fact that as an American, they don't want your business at Singaporean banks anymore, by and large. They will take an Indonesian's business from the regional play because it comes with far less baggage. They come with far less baggage than, let's say, an American does or even a British person now does. So who's really the one who's free? Who's really the one who has options? Um, their passport may not be as good as yours, but there's plenty of emerging wealthy people in a country like Indonesia. And I'm not saying that's the, that's the place to go, but I'm saying it's going to be countries like that that you're not even thinking about. And I think it's very easy to dismiss there's nowhere to go in the world because I looked up north and Canada's even worse than we are. Yeah, we're not talking about Canada, Stephen. <laughs> that's not the place you're going.
0: Uh, sorry, Andrew, I think we just lost you for a second there. But as you said, um, I think some people are just looking not very far afield, right? They're just looking at their immediate neighbor, right? If I'm an Australian, oh, look at New Zealand. If I'm an American, look at Canada. Like, it's not, uh, you know, or if i are an American, uh, they may be looking internally within the different states of America, but not externally. Yes. Right. I think that's a common one as well.
1: Well, I mean, how much news do you hear about Dubai, for example? If you're watching our stuff, maybe you start to see it. I think you're probably seeing too much in the industry from people overhyping Dubai. Not a bad place to go, but recently talked to a guy. He's going to double his taxes moving to Dubai because he didn't realize the kind of income he has relies on tax treaties to reduce it. The place the income comes from, there's no tax treaty. So... You know, Maybe some places are getting overhyped, but how much news do you see in just the mainstream media, which influences all of us, even if we think it doesn't, about the countries that maybe we're talking about? I'm having an event coming up in Malaysia. Nobody really knows much of anything in Malay about Malaysia. I spend part of my life there. I can tell you in terms of soft freedom, it's one of the best. They leave me alone, some of the nicest people you'll, you'll ever meet. Um, the- they opened up. During the pandemic in the early days before Florida did, um, now Florida was more open in 2021, but just in an immediate, if you, if you wanted to get out, you could have gotten out of Malaysia sooner than you could have gotten out of Florida. And yeah, people are focused on Florida. Someone said yesterday, oh, I don't need this nomad capitalist stuff. I live in Florida. There's no income tax. I said, believe me, there's an income tax in Florida. You just don't pay it to Florida. And people have kind of, you know, that's the narrative, right? To use a Ron DeSantis word, that's the narrative, is, oh, there's no income tax. Yeah, except that 37% you send to Joe Biden, and they want to raise it. And oh, by the way, forget income tax. They have wanted for over a decade, and they're gaining momentum. If you're an American, they want to take the cap off of Social Security. I would have a year or two ago, if I were living in the U.S. under this, you know, if if there were no cap, I'd have like a seven-figure Social Security tax bill. And do you think I'm going to get any more than my $2,000 a month? No, because even the Republicans, Chris Christie, for example, is saying now, uh, why should Mark Zuckerberg get Social Security? So the Democrats are saying Mark Zuckerberg should pay tens, hundreds of millions of dollars into Social Security. The point is, even beyond the income tax people think about, they point to the global minimum tax because they saw a headline somewhere, and they don't even realize the taxes they're really paying, thinking, oh, I don't pay any income tax
0: yeah I think it's a great point you make that a lot of people are just headline driven they don't look into yes. actual details, and that sometimes causes people to make a, a an error in thinking. so as an example, I saw some stat recently where the people were you know I think this is in America they were estimating how many trans people are there as an example right not that I'm you know getting into that, but they wildly overestimated the number because maybe it's like the number of times they repeat a message it just makes it people you know think about that in their minds even if that doesn't align with reality, if it's only 1% or 2% of the population, actually they think in their mind it's 30% or something ridiculous.
1: What was the, even like Bill Maher mentioned this, like like Democrats thought that like if you got COVID, there was like a 60% chance you'd have to go to the hospital. He's like, it's three or something like that. Um, so that's, you know, I, yeah, I mean, headlines. I, I just went to visit a guy about a month ago in Tuscany. Everyone thinks, oh, Italy. And whenever I talk about Italy and I talk about tax advantages in Italy, people say, what's this guy? What's he smoking? Taxes are sky high in Italy. Well, if you're a foreigner, they've got, for example, among other tax incentives, a lump sum. This guy makes tens of millions of dollars a year. He goes to Italy. He pays a flat 100,000 euros. And that's all he has to pay for the next uh, 15 years. They have a carve out because what, 99 point whatever percent of Italians aren't paying 100,000 euros in tax. So they said, hey, we'll take the Swiss model. We'll charge a lower price than Switzerland, which is in the hundreds of thousands. And uh, hey, listen, if you want to come and live here, that's enough to cover the roads and the bridges and everything else. And, you know, but but people look at the headlines. Uh, they look at the Dubai, for example. They don't realize, hey, you might pay less tax in Italy or in Ireland um, than you would in in Dubai because everything is headline-driven. And I think that um, it's getting beyond those headlines that's the key to what we would say, going where you're treated best.
0: Right. And so one other area when it comes to um, citizenship by investment, like as we were talking a little bit about it, and you you touched on this, there's been some news recently that certain Caribbean nations may have UK visa-free access taken away. And there was also speculation that it may may happen also in the eu and then we saw the response i think saint kitts raised the price and said we're going to do a little bit more due diligence do you have any views to share on that do you just think that's the future of it it's going to be increased prices increased scrutiny yeah and i
1: made we've been saying that since the beginning of the pandemic and i made a video our number one video on youtube 3.6 million views uh the u.s plan to kill second citizenship and i kind of mentioned some of this stuff coming. We made another video about how second citizenship would be dead in early 2022. You know, obviously, that's a little sensational. And people said it was fear-mongering. They said, oh, no, no, the prices are only going to come down. It's capitalism. And I said, no, you have these emerging economies you don't think of, which are 90 to 95% of the clientele of these programs. They're happy to pay more. And supply doesn't matter. Uh, the price will go up as compliance demands go up. So Dominica, which was considered... You know, they had their they had a few issues over the years, uh, the press. Uh, so they they got singled out to be removed from the UK visa free travel list. And then Vanuatu in the South Pacific, that's not a Caribbean one, but that's a different citizenship program. I would almost never recommend that unless it's just like a collector of citizenships or something um, or you just have no other options. Um, I mean, Vanuatu is good as a as a super duper plan B, but it's not your first, second passport. So they lost access to the UK. Will the others? I don't know. We'll see. The Commonwealth always, you know, these are Commonwealth countries, always had a very strong relationship with the UK. Will Europe? Well, the U.S. made a deal that if they started doing interviews of applicants, which I don't think is a huge deal. It's a, it's an inconvenience, but if you have, you know, it is what it is. You know, if you do some of these things, uh, we'll stand up for you with Europe. If the U.S. can't keep their word on that. All the more reason you want to plan B away from that country or anyone that's in close quarters with it. Europe has come out and said now some of the same things, including double your price. St. Kitts responded by saying, okay, we'll do that immediately. They've always liked to charge more than other countries. So I'm not entirely surprised. So apparently, you know, there will be an option that can go to UK, that can go to Europe and you'll just pay more for it. The others will follow suit. Or they won't. Maybe Europe will crack down. Maybe they won't. By the way, getting a residence permit to live in Europe, if that's your goal, is not difficult. There's a lot of countries. The UK, uh, last time I was there, they wanted to, They asked me a bunch of questions why I'm staying for two days. And a lot of people I know get the same treatment. Getting into the UK is not the world's easiest feat. Uh, and there's no investor or um, entrepreneur visa programs to speak of. So the UK is a country that's just kind of tough to get into overall. Europe in general, I think, is much more open. And so I think if I'm a Westerner and I have another passport I can go to Europe on, I'm not that worried. I'm not that worried overall. Um, certainly if I'm Chinese and this is my only ticket in, then I either get a residence permit or I get a visa, which isn't that hard, or I don't go. Keep in mind, in 2024, all the people who just show up in Europe now will need to get EDIUS, which is an, uh, a, a a pre-clearance. And it's going to be kind of like ESTA in the United States. And it's going to ask you a bunch of questions. And it's going to be more than most Americans have done. So just going to Europe as an American, the media is saying, is going to be more difficult. It's not really a visa, but it's more difficult than some visas. So, you know, I think that Western countries are increasingly becoming isolated. The U.S., Canada and Australia and New Zealand already have that. I think that, you know, the opportunity, I don't think there'll be huge issues with this. Um, maybe I'll be wrong, but I think that people want to start looking towards the places where we talk about the Mexicos, the Colombias, the Malaysias, the UAE's, the Serbias, the Mauritius, those countries don't care. They want you if you have wealth, right? Isn't that, isn't that, it, doesn't that make sense in a free market? Oh, you have money? Please step right it. We'd love to have you here. Don't, wouldn't you like a backup plan against the countries that are like, you disgusting animal. <laughs> you and your filthy money you think we want you in europe you swine go over there like is that if that's what it comes to maybe you won't be buying chocolates in zurich i think you'll be fine but <laughs> i mean at a certain point why is it we're so married to i have to go to zurich and not to kuala lumpur
0: yeah i think it's a it's a great and it's interesting to see some of the what seems to be some of the mindsets coming out of, let's say, the UK and some of the EU where it's sort of seen like, oh, you shouldn't be buying your access in. You have to, you know, go through this other pathway. Uh, But I'm also curious your views because I wonder, is there to some extent like a life cycle to these things that, you know, as a country, maybe, you know, if you went to Singapore 20 or 30 years ago or Hong Kong 20 or 30 years ago, it was maybe easier or a little bit better then. And so, maybe there's a life cycle to that. And actually, as certain countries maybe they, they start to price it higher and higher, there may be new countries who kind of come up and say, hey, we'll have a program. You know, maybe it's Africa or somewhere else.
1: Yeah. Here's my thoughts on, on I mean, we're, we're in a multipolar world. And so, when I, you know, I'm not in the extreme level of the dollars going to, to to zero with a bullet. But if you look at, you know, the, the dollar share as the reserve currency, it's down 15 points uh, in this century. Where has it gone? Well, went to the yen recently, all right? It's not going to one player. That's what people miss. Oh, what's going to overtake the dollar? Nothing. Lots of little things. Death by a 1,000 cuts, slowly but surely. So 30 years ago, yes, Singapore, please come right in. Start a business. We'd love to have you. Now they just raise the numbers. I mean, the highest numbers, if you're just a passive investor, it could be nine figures to live in Singapore. Yes, there are cheaper ways to do it, including business with some restrictions. But on the highest level, nine figures, why? They can afford to do it. They don't They don't need more people. They need only the creme de la creme. So what replaces that? The country that you would have looked askance at, just like you looked askance at Singapore or South Korea 30 years ago or 40 years ago. It's a country like that. Yes, there is a new residence by investment program. It's $50,000. You buy $50,000 in real estate. Please come right in. It's Egypt. Oh, Egypt is terrible. Well, that's probably what you would have said about Singapore all those years ago when they when they got kicked out of the federation with um, with what's now Malaysia. Why would I go there? I mean, look at pictures of Singapore in the 70s. It ain't Singapore today. You had to have a little bit of foresight. People go to Georgia, you know, one of the easiest places in the world to bank. It is not a cheap place to live anymore. So the value for someone seeking value is probably not there, but it's still tax friendly. They just recently increased the price of their tax program. But, uh, if you live there full time, doesn't really matter. It's still, still a good deal. Um, but like, yeah, everything's going up and it's going to be, you know, Georgia's the new Singapore for one part of the equation. There's not going to be one, you know, perfect place. The UAE perhaps is a contender. Um, but there's really no citizenship for most people yet. Um, they are starting to open up a little bit there. Kevin O'Leary, for example, got given, it was given Emirati citizenship by exception, but that's not going to help the average person. Uh, you know, so. I, I, I think it's a matter of, you know, getting your eggs in some different baskets and accepting you're either going to pay a higher price or you're going to get something that's going to be up and coming. And I think it's realizing that the vast majority of your competition is people investing from countries you've never heard of. The fact it, it's like people who uh, in New York City in, in 84 who said, I don't know how Reagan won. Nobody I know voted for him. No one else I know in the U.S. are very people. They're not doing this stuff. Yeah. Everyone in all those other countries I mentioned, they're all doing this. They all want options and they're willing to pay for it.
0: Yeah, it comes to uh, selection bias. And I think, as we were saying earlier, there's a concept known as home country bias. And that's a thing from the world of investing where a lot of people and I know this uh, when I was back in Australia. It was a common thing that people would just invest in the Australian stock market. They didn't invest in the global stock market because they had home country bias. And in the same in the same way, when it comes to citizenships, residency, setting up your company, you name it, people exhibit a lot of this same home country bias. And I think we are moving into a world where there are options. Yes, there are, some of them are becoming expensive, but I think there are a range of options, even. For people who aren't super rich, there are a lot of nomad, uh, you know, digital nomad programs and things like this that are even making it accessible for people who are willing to, let's say, go for an up-and-coming place.
1: Well, by the way, did you see Australia fell off the list of free countries this year? Uh, they're not even in the free category anymore economically. And by the way, listen, I own a few Australian stocks but I don't have a bias. I looked at the entire landscape of stocks. I have part of my portfolio, which is very boring, very bland, dividend portfolio. I wanted to say, okay, let me me reinvest the company's money and I'll have a portfolio of, of boring stuff that just pays me to live. And yeah, I'll throw a few Australian stocks in there. But it's not because I was biased towards that. In fact, it's actually I don't have very many because the conditions aren't as favorable. They're just a few really great stocks that I like that overcomes their higher dividend tax that a country like Hong Kong or Singapore doesn't have. And so I, I threw a few of those in there uh, just for some diversification. But here's the, here's what I think the, the financial piece comes in. You can move to countries in Europe. Let's take Portugal, for example. Portugal has visas. You can move there. You basically just have to show you have a few bucks, but then you have to live there. And if you don't live there, they're not going to renew you and you won't get citizenship. If you go through the golden visa, which has now been brought back minus primarily the real estate investment option, then you only need to spend about a week there per year and you're on the track to citizenship. Now they've been rather inefficient, unfortunately, in issuing those. But the point is, if you're willing to invest, not not pay, but invest a larger sum in the mid-six figures, you can um, get better conditions. If you don't have the money to invest, you can still get in, but you're gonna have to, you know, to put in the time. And so, you know, it's like anything else. Uh, you know, do you want fast, easy, or cheap? You don't get fast, easy, and cheap all in one, all in one thing. And so I think we're seeing, you know, that change. If you want the, one of the best second passports in the world, you spend about a million dollars all in and you can become Maltese, uh, in 15 or 18 months. It's an EU country. It's tax favorable. They don't tax you if you don't live there. Um, that's kind of the creme de la creme. By the way, you get a discount for living in even Switzerland, for example. I mean, it's really a nice thing to have. Um, that's an example of what it's going to cost. And so there's always going to be options to move places. That's more open than ever. But is it going to be somewhere that doesn't, re- doesn't require you to live there, plus gives you a great citizenship, plus gives you this, that? No, no, no. You know, that's not going to happen.
0: Back to the show in a moment. Are you looking to learn to build with Bitcoin? Well, check out base58.info. Base58 is a Bitcoin protocol school by Lisa Nygett, aka Nifty Nye. And this is the place to get guidance in your Bitcoin developer education if you are already working in the space or potentially you are looking to get a job in the space or maybe you're just looking to brush up your skills base 58 has classes and materials ranging from beginner developers all the way up to expert level classes there are online classes as well as in-person intensive classes where you can learn in a safe guided pathway from bitcoin and lightning experts you don't have to go out there and hack it all on your own the taproot intensive in-person class is coming up soon and it'll cover using taproot tapscript Schnorr, frost and music 2 this is in-person Taproot intensive class is coming up just prior to TabConf in Atlanta. So this is on the 4th to the 6th of September. And this class is on again in Austin, Texas, 13th to 15th of November. So go to base58.info or see the link in the description to sign up and learn about Bitcoin development. And finally, coinkite.com is where you should go to get your Bitcoin hardware security devices and accessories. Over at coinkite.com, they sell the cold card. This is a very well-loved Bitcoin hardware security device by Bitcoiners. It's got two secure elements. It has NFC support, but that's off by default. It has more RAM and CPU. It's a very reliable performer and it can work in all kinds of configurations. You can use it in single signature. You can do things like have a passphrase. You can do things like have a brick me pin, a device pin that will actually wipe the device. Now, of course, you can use it in a multi-signature setup also so there's all kinds of ways you can use the device but don't be intimidated it is also available and accessible to people who are first-time self-custody practitioners you can take your coins off the exchange by using a cold card you can just get a cable a USB-C cable to plug it into your computer and use it easily with software like sparrow wallet spectre desktop or nunchuck go to coinkite.com and use the code levera to get some cold cards for yourself or potentially for your family and friends And now, back to the show. I'm curious as well around, uh, you may have heard, uh, there's been a lot of talk about the demographic collapse, right? That uh, Elon is talking about it and various people are talking about this idea that you know the the demographic pyramid that used to be is becoming more like a, a cylinder and some countries are trying to make up for that with immigration. But we also know that immigration is going to tap out eventually. And so I'm curious if you believe that will force countries to be a bit more Competitive in some ways to attract people.
1: I don't claim to be a demographic. Demogra- I don't claim to be a demographics expert. I've certainly heard that argument a number of times. Uh, you know, my understanding was we were going to cap out at somewhere like ten billion, and yeah. then you'd have certain efficiencies in, you know, some of the countries, and, and people would you know give birth to fewer children in future generations. I mean, I'm spending some time in Ireland these days. I mean, Ireland they need seventy thousand jobs. Housing is very expensive, so it's hard to get some of the people to come there. But pe- countries need immigration. And so Ireland has taken, I think, a very friendly approach towards doing that. Um, I found them to be extraordinarily friendly for a developed country to deal with. And I think that, you know, it's that kind of competition that's going to be important. I think the main word is competition. And I think that they're, you know, what I like about Ireland and what I like about Switzerland as countries in the West, in Europe, in a region I'm not a huge fan of, is they have a size, they have a history, they have a culture that says, let's be competitive. Let's be the place that handles people's capital let's you know ireland has a sense of humility about it in the culture that is different from some of the european countries it's certainly different from the u.s i have shared uh i came across some data recently uh if you are applying for a certain kind of u.s residence permit and you're an indian citizen you are currently going in for an appointment you scheduled in mid 1998 25 years later come on in we're ready for you now that's not everybody but that's a certain kind of person getting a certain kind of residence permit from India because there's too many Indians. Don't you think a lot of those folks would just go somewhere else? And don't you think some of those folks are pretty talented? And so the more competition that opens up, the fewer people that are going to say, you know what, I'm going to wait even two years to go to the U.S. I know a lot of U.S. immigration lawyers. All I hear them ever talking about is having to sue the government to get a decision on their cases. Meanwhile, in, in Ireland, for example... I got a decision in two months. They made a typographical error. We said, hey, you made an error. Oh, we're very, very sorry. It was fixed within 24 hours. Difference in how you run your country. And I, I just think that, um, I mean, who wants to be treated like garbage? <laughs> I, I just think, you know, now some people, yes, particularly, in, let's say Central America, the U.S. is the goal. Uh, and there will always be some of that. Now, if you're in the U.S., you don't hear that for some people in Turkey, for example, Germany's the goal. Or, you know, whatever. For simple, everyone has a different goal. You hear the people coming to your country. But, I mean, millionaire migration. We talked about this. It's a big thing. Yeah, they're moving out of Russia. They're moving out of China. I mean, there's also rich people moving into the U.S. Thousands of people give up their citizenship every year, let alone move. Um, more Americans than ever are living overseas. More Americans than ever have a passport. So, you're going to have to have competition. And I think, yeah, I mean, uh, where I think they will actually be allowed to get away with more competition is in these larger blocks like the EU, which is why I think for certain people getting, let's say, a Malta passport wouldn't be the worst. If you're willing to live somewhere in Europe, they'll say, all right, we're not going to bag you for taxes as long as you live in one of these countries we like. And then you go and live in a country that taxes you 1% or 2% within Europe. Anyway, I I just think competition is the name of the game. And there are a small handful of countries that are not ready for it, but need it.
0: Yeah, I think it's an attitude and culture issue for certain countries that maybe they they have this resting on their laurels mindset as opposed to a continually innovating and continually trying to stay competitive mindset, which... uh, You know, maybe it's not, you can't pin the, you can't point it at one person, but maybe it's a broader culture thing.
1: Well, that's the whole point of governments and bureaucracy, right? By the way, I was watching a Jay Leno interview yesterday where he says, why don't I own a Ferrari? The guy owns a million cars. I don't own a Ferrari because they like make you wait in a line and they make you buy two crappy cars before you can buy the car you want. Then you've got to pay them 25 grand, like in an envelope. Then in two years, you get to come back and pay them another 25. He's like, I don't need, I just bought a McLaren. I don't need this right? <laughs> and I just think that there's certain, you know, governments act that way sometimes, like, oh, you know, they'll do anything we ask. Oh, get on your knees and beg. It's like, eh, maybe 30 years ago, not now.
0: Yeah, that's really fascinating to see um, the shift in the uh, how quickly parts of the world have changed. And uh, some parts of the world have really come up a lot in those 30 years. And now there's all these opportunities and options out there. And I think a lot of people are just sort of coasting on fumes or certain countries, if if I, if you could you know anthropomorphize them They yeah they're having this kind of mindset
1: well just yeah. if i may real quick look at what the people in those countries are saying they're not happy fewer people than ever are proud to be american and some of that is cultural stuff but I talked to my father 25 years ago. The U.S. would go down. The West would go down in indexes, Asian countries, others would rise. You have formerly communist countries in our lifetime that were communists that are now more free than the United States on numerous metrics. And you see people in the U.S. who are saying, my wages are stagnant. I'm not making more money. I'm having a hard time. That's why you're seeing some of the civil unrest. That's why you're seeing, I think, a push probably to more liberal economic policies that are going to make it harder for people, that it's going to create the incentive for other places to go. And why is that? Again, I live in Malaysia part of the year. Those people are better off now than they were 30 years ago. And perhaps some of that came at the expense of the U.S. Not in a bad way, in my opinion. I don't think that just because you're, what, just because you're from the U.S., you should get $60,000 a year to, to push a mop? I mean, no. I mean, if someone over here can do the job, why should they toil in poverty just so you can have three cars in the driveway of your suburban house? People like me and you can hire anywhere. And I do. And the U.S. makes it, disadvantageous for me to hire there as an international business so guess what i don't meanwhile i hire people that you know i mean the cost the 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 wages in these other countries has done very well and so you see people there's a middle class in asia even in africa now in part because you actually have to again be competitive yeah and so what does that mean malaysia is a better place to live now than it was 30 years ago
0: yeah for sure Um, So, yeah, I mean, I I agree with you there for sure. Um, I think one area that might be interesting to get your thoughts is obviously CBDCs. Now, there's been a lot of talk about this. There's been certain, you know, know, there there is arguably a war on cash going on. Do you have any thoughts around the timelines for that? Uh, Do you think that maybe there are some countries that are better at, let's say, resisting CBDC (laughs) or because the culture is more cash focused? Do you have any views on CBDC and timelines for that kind of thing?
1: Well, I mean, go to Hong Kong, Chinese New Year, and watch as they can't put the cash through the window. They've got to bring it around in a cart through the side door. Um, go to parts of the uh, the Middle East, the Gulf. I have a friend who's a banker in in, um, in the UAE. He said, war on cash. What you I just had a guy with a pallet I had to sign up on the other day uh, <laughs> that came in. Um, Eastern Europe, I mean, formerly communist countries, I think. That, I mean, not all of them, but many of them. Um, I think there's also places where I mean take Mexico for example and their response to COVID you had a left-leaning president that had one of the most open policies during COVID why a lot of our people are working basically in the in the gray economy uh we have to let them go out and make a living uh you think those people are are banked i mean that's that's the whole scam about it in the western countries most people in the US don't not have a bank account because it's like oh it's so hard. It's like, they don't want a bank account. <laughs> and so the idea that CBDCs are gonna like swoop in and help them, they're like, I was trying to avoid that system. You could maybe make a case for, for, for some, you know, I mean, people are using Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, whatever, in some of these emerging countries. You know, my philosophy is, I'm less worried about the St. Lucian central bank digital currency than I am the US or the EU or the UK, where they've, I mean, just look at the UK. They were, they, they were caught lying through their teeth. Um, I don't think that even if you have one in some of these smaller countries, it's going to be an issue. We have seen, like, was it Slovakia recently said, we're not going to we're going to make sure you can't get rid of cash there in the EU. Maybe that has less teeth. Um, but I think that, I mean, look at their history. You'll see other countries in that region going the same direction. There's no CBDC in Serbia. I have a home in Serbia. Serbia is not the perfect place. But I'll tell you what, people want to be left alone there. They want to live conservative lives. Uh, they're probably not big fans of immigration, but I think they tolerate it. I guess from people that they believe are, you know, higher up the food chain is how I would describe it than they are. That's how a lot of those kinds of countries operate. In fact, they're even talking about rolling out a program where you can get citizenship in as little of a, uh, of a year of living there. We'll see if they do that. But that's the kind of country that you're, that you're not going to be able to go to. And so, again, I, I really think it's going to be a time for choosing eventually. If you want a conservative country uh, where people act conservatively, and and just all the stuff people say they want, it's going to look something like Serbia. They ain't getting rid of meat in Serbia, okay? They have nothing but meat. Like, (laughs) hey, can I ever get a vegetable? What are you talking about vegetables? Have more meat. Piles and piles of meat. They're not getting rid of meat, believe me. Uh, They're probably not getting on a CBDC. They don't want the EU telling them what to do. That's the kind of place you're going to go. Probably some places in Africa. But I mean, some of these countries also were just so far off the grid. We had guys, multimillionaires, moving to like Nicaragua during the pandemic because it was tax friendly. It was open. It was leave me alone. That's what it's going to be. I, You know, I mean, like an alcoholic, the U.S. is not going to change until it hits rock bottom.
0: Yeah. Uh, and as you rightly say, there are different countries that have a stronger cash culture, right? I'm, I'm actually in Dubai. I'm in the UAE myself. And certainly, uh, obviously, I'm a Bitcoin guy. So, of course, I'll use Bitcoin where I can. But if I can't, I'll, I like to use cash. Um, and I know parts of Latin America, parts of Asia are like that too. That they there's a strong cash economy, and so it's funny that I see news, you know, and I see uh, you, you might have seen it as well in Australia. There was you know a video clip yep. going around about oh the yep. the war on cash. You need to ask the bank branch in advance if you're going to take a certain amount out, and you need to explain why you're taking all this money, cash out. Whereas in other countries, it's just not like that. It's just on the ground, and you pay with cash. I was I don't obviously there's no panacea.
1: And obviously, you see some countries where they're like, hey, I mean, I think Georgia did a great job with digital payments very early on. I mean, a decade ago, they were really doing a great job. By the way, I think the first country to put their entire like title real estate and stuff on a blockchain. Um, but, you know, I keep coming back to that 15%. That's the world everyone focuses on. You know, in the West, when they talk about the international community is with us. It's 15% of the world's population. And people will tell me, oh, got it. The way to survive is go to a third world country. No, not what I'm saying. Uh, you're probably not going to go to, to China or to India. Um, not, I mean, I've been to those countries. I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe China's getting a little, but I mean, there's 252 sovereign countries and autonomous jurisdictions in the world. I'm guessing one is better than where you're at and gives you the stuff you want. I mean, out of 252, Years ain't number one in, in all the criteria, and it's probably number one in none of the criteria. So, listen, banks around the world do what bankers do. Um, but guess what? If you're an American and you want to leave the U.S., you don't have to give up your U.S. bank accounts. Some other people do in other countries, but you can bank in the U.S. if that's what you want to do. I'm not saying get rid of everything American or Australian. I'm saying at least have some diversification. Have a passport, have a residence permit, have another bank account. Maybe you want stronger asset protection and a trust if you have a certain amount of money. If your business is, uh, you know, in your country and it can be run from anywhere, maybe you move that offshore. Now, if you don't move offshore, you're not going to save taxes, but we have some people who just say, I just want the asset protection. I want to hire people there. It's a better deal for me, even if I pay taxes here at home. You know, that's the kind of stuff people should be looking at doing to protect themselves and at least being one step closer to where they're covered. And so, if you had a bank account in the UAE, whether your money's at home or your money's in the UAE, it's probably not a big difference in terms of the safety of the money. Uh, maybe it's even safer there for some people. But, uh, you know, it, it just to me, it comes down to we're all thinking in that 15 percent bubble. Uh, and that's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. that it, That 15 percent may be screwed in the scenario you lay out.
0: Yeah. And it's funny because as you, when you first said 15%, I was first thinking you were referring to the global minimum tax, the corporation thing. And then you sort of, and then right. I realized, oh, wait, no, you're talking about the international community, right? Because that's another interesting angle. And I think they're kind of related in a way, right? Because people uh, might be worried that, okay. You know, it starts out at a very high threshold, but then it over, of course, it comes down sure. over time, yeah. right? And so, just like the AML ten thousand dollar reporting threshold used to be something like seventy thousand dollars in today's terms, or something like this, and then you know, or just gets inflated know. away. Exactly, yeah, because years of inflation, from now, yeah. Right. So then that might make people scared that okay, even if I try to go somewhere else, they're still going to hit me with global minimum tax in ten years time. What should I do about that right now? what would you say to that? Do you, do you, would you say a similar kind of answer that, look, really, that's the international community per se, and uh, you know, th- that's not necessarily going to apply everywhere?
1: I mean, first of all, if you paid 15% tax and you had no dividend tax, you're still paying less than almost everybody living in those Western countries to begin with. And when I lived in the US, I think my total burden was something like 42 or 43% at the peak, and I lived in a relatively low-tax state. Um, you know, I, I talk to people sometimes they're paying half of their income to live in these countries. So to go to 15, I'm not saying everyone should pay zero tax. We have people who come to us. We've helped people move to 31 different tax friendly countries. Uh, some people are like, Hey, listen, keep it under 10. I don't want to live in a desert. I don't want to live in a tropical island. You know, put me somewhere where I can pay eight, nine, ten percent. I'm happy to pay that. So, you know, 15 is still a dramatic improvement if you can do what you want with the money afterwards. In terms of, you know, waiting 10 years, uh, I don't know about you. I mean, I I plan to make a lot of money in the next 10 years. And so, I mean, what's it? Robert Herjavec uh, on Shark Tank says nothing wrong with making a whack of cash. Oh, the woe that would be- that would befall you if you were able to save twenty or thirty million dollars in the next ten years, and then the rules changed. I mean, I get it. I don't like dealing with all this bureaucracy. I've had people tell me I have no idea how you opened forty-seven bank accounts and got all the passports and got. It's like I want to kill myself getting one. <laughs> one guy told me. I guess that's what we help people do. But I I, I just think it's. <sighs> I'm a ve- I've always been very entrepreneurial and I just have a great distaste for this defeatism. You know, if everything's going to end, don't you want to go down fighting? I think your best chance fighting is to go somewhere where the conditions are better rather than think you're going to sit around with your guns on the top of your house in Arizona or something. Like that's that doesn't sound like a very pleasant way to go for me. I'd rather be with Doug Casey sitting in Uruguay somewhere as as they says watching it on my big screen TV because I just fundamentally don't believe that every country thinks the way the United States does. I just fundamentally don't. And and let's talk about the war again. The ruble is down after being way up after being the best performing currency of 2022, the ruble's down again versus the when the the war started. Um I know some people in Russia, you I'm married to a Russian, you know, I don't know that their their lives are so miserable. Um, this idea that, like, everybody needs the West, I think, is fundamentally flawed. Uh, and you're seeing people who don't want the West. And listen, let's take some of the folks who are more politically conservative in the U.S. Here's your opportunity. It's in Serbia. It's in that part of the world. There's your politically conservative culture. It is all the stuff you say you want. Do you want to go there or not? Or do you want to sit and hope that your country is going to turn on a dime? I, I just don't, I don't understand. To me, I'm the best way to fight, the best way to vote is with your feet. This idea, I'm going to sit at home and just be angry my entire life. And I worked in talk radio for many years. I had a business in the talk radio space. Some of those folks, I can tell you, do just want to be angry. The worst thing that could ever happen to them is, is they'd be happy. <laughs> and I, I, I just think if you want to be happy, there's a there's a geographic solution for that.
0: Yeah, great. Um, one question, uh, obviously more related for my Bitcoiner audience. Probably many of them will be thinking about retaining Bitcoin exposure, but at the same time, yeah. for some different programs, they may need to show assets inside the fiat system, right? And obviously, I'm sure you've probably dealt with this for some of your clients or yes. many of your clients. Um, do you have any tips for people to consider on that? Um, is it just a matter of deciding? Okay, I'm comfortable with this much. I'm going to take that. I'm going to have that much in the fiat system so that I can pass these checks or hurdles.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's as simple as just having an account. I mean, my my philosophy is I do want a little bit of diversification. Uh, I understand some folks are all in on Bitcoin. But, you know, if you want to do this stuff, it's the price of admission. And I look at it and say, what's my ROI? Yeah. Uh, I was telling people during the boom, get your citizenship by investment now. $100,000. Oh, that's 1. 1.6 Bitcoin. You're done. You're golden. You're covered. Who knows when you'll need it? No, it'll be cheaper. Well, now the price of citizenship is going up, and the value of a bitcoin is lower. And I just think that the best time to just get in is you, you just bite the bullet a little bit. You get in, you set aside whatever it is. I mean, again, if you want to move to, you know, if it's if it's if it's somewhere in Latin America, maybe you need a, a years of bank statements showing that you have fifteen hundred dollars a month. It could be as easy as that. If you want some kind of golden visa that gets you a great passport, you got to have that, and it's going to be seasoned a little bit. They don't want to see it, you know, the day before, you know. So anywhere from. 25 to a couple hundred thousand dollars. And you just accept that's the price of, of admission because, you know, we have a great opportunity right now. What was uh, Bitcoin what, 13, 14 months ago? Right about where it is now, I think. Uh, if you bought it 13, 14 months ago, you can now exit your country's tax system without an exit tax because you have no, no, uh, no, no capital gain. Uh, you can exit and then you can enjoy any future run up somewhere else. If you believe that asset values are going to increase dramatically, uh, then, you know, setting aside a little bit of money now, it is a simple ROI calculation. That is, I think, maybe a group that's going to be hurt by any increases in Caribbean citizenship because you know, that was the group that said, "I'd rather donate 150,000 dollars than invest 400 in Turkey." Even if I'll get the 400 back later, the 250 opportunity cost for three or four years isn't worth it. So we run those numbers with people, but I think it goes back to my saying, and this stuff always gets more expensive. The options over time will either become more expensive or they'll go away. Citizenships, residences, they historically go away or the price goes dramatically up. Um, rarely does it get cheaper? Egypt will come in for 50 grand. Great that's what you want fantastic but i just think people have to bite a little bit of a bullet because there's a greater perspective of savings and of freedom
0: yeah i think it's a totally fair point about roi as you know even excluding bitcoin that's just something people have to think about in general anyway so look let's uh and I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll,
1: I'll add this if I, if I may you know look at how people in these 15 percent, you know especially in the western countries when they say oh you can't accept bitcoin for this you think starbucks is going to argue with the government They're gonna fall right in line. So I want this stuff set up earlier, even if that means you know it costs me a little bit of money. uh, You know, that's my pragmatic view.
0: Right. Yeah. It's uh you know uh getting the insurance before the house burns down, of course. And let's talk a little bit about Nomad Capitalist Live. So this is coming up. I'm gonna be there, of course. But uh, let's hear it from you. What what uh, what can people expect at Nomad Capitalist Live?
1: Well, Nomad Capitalist Live is our annual event. It's designed uh, whether you have a seven or eight figure, you know, income or net worth that we normally work with those folks, whether you're there and you're just exploring or whether you're not yet there yet, come and learn the R&D, come and learn the changes. Uh, we have some presentations we give every year and we just update. Here's what's changed. Here's what's harder. Here's what's easier. Here's a new program. But it's basically uh, four days of pretty much nonstop information and nonstop networking on Increasing your finance, your freedom and your lifestyle using internationalization tactics, whether it's bank accounts, whether it's, you know, vaults, whether it's residence, citizenship, lifestyle. We try and provide some color commentary. We've got some keynote speakers such as yourself. We've got Jim Rogers, the venture capitalist. Uh, we've got a lot of, um, you know, Mark Faber. A lot of big names are coming. But it's also our team that's in the trenches of people saying, you want to run your company overseas? Here's seven problems we've had, and we've seen people have, don't do these things. Hey, here's five new residences you've never heard of. And nobody can sponsor it. Nobody uh, can pay to speak. So it's a premium ticket because there's nothing for sale. If you want to work with us, you can. We'll have a few of our vendors there. If you want to work with them, you can. But no one's going to be selling anything on the stage. You know, we've got one day that starts at 8 in the morning and goes to like 1030 at night. Uh, I, I want to jam this in so that anybody can come and learn a lot. Uh, but anyway, it's happening September 6th through the 9th in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Uh, it's worth the trip, in my opinion. Malaysia is incredibly affordable right now. Uh, the five-star hotel we're at, colonial style, the majestic hotel, one of my favorites in the world, less than 100 bucks a night. Get a full health checkup at Prince Court Medical Center for $300. bucks. we have got about 40 people, I think, doing that, that we've helped them set it up to do an A to Z physical. Uh, It probably cost you five to ten grand somewhere else. Um, So I just think, you know, it's in Malaysia because I wanted to show people Malaysia. I've been there for a decade and it is a little bit further for some folks. But uh, I think you'll discover the alternative that we're talking about. English speaking, friendly people, very open country. Uh, You know, if you're not Malaysian Muslim and you want to have half your kulo showing from your shorts, nobody's going to bother you. I know you like to do that. You like to sometimes, you know, <laughs> wear the little short shorts. But uh, I, I'm just a big fan. And I think that, you know, our brand is about things that I've done and that I wish other people could save the legwork. And I think Kuala Lumpur is a great place to see. And this is a four-day event that um, I don't think we've had a single complaint the last couple of years. I think everybody just, it's just endless information and the people you'll meet are incredible.
0: Yeah, and I think the other aspect that uh, I, I personally will find interesting is also the chance to just network and just chat with other like-minded people because sometimes yeah. it can be difficult to connect with a certain kind of person. And I think sometimes when you go to that kind of conference, actually, it's also it's obviously I'm sure the talks and the content will be great up on the stage, but it's also about the networking and the people you meet sure. in the side hor- corridors and the and the hallway and the you know and the dinners and the events. I think that's an interesting um, element also the networking.
1: We've always had, I mean, Robert Kiyosaki was there two years ago, talked to every single person there. Nigel Farage was there last year, I think talked to almost everybody there. I mean, people really get out there. And you know, what's great about Malaysia, The pastime is eating. So we actually had to cut back on some of the eating because they're like, they wanted us to have breakfast, lunch, three snack breaks, and then we do a dinner on third. Like, that's a little bit too much eating. Um, <laughs> but the food will be great and you'll meet a lot of great people. Uh, I think this will be even better because I think it is a little bit further. And so you're getting people who are really dedicated to this. But one of the things I've heard for years from people is I'm the only one who thinks this way. I don't know too many other people who agree. My family thinks I'm kind of nuts. Why do you want a second passport? The U.S. is the best place on earth. Here you're going to find people who you fit right in with. They realize what's happening.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Well, I think that's a good spot to finish there. Uh, if you have any, I guess, closing thoughts for people or if you had a, a message that people should take away from this, um, you know, what, what, what do you think the, the message should be for them?
1: Well, I always say go where you're treated best, eliminating what you call the, the, the hometown bias. I think it's very important. It is a big mindset issue. I like to talk about mindset sometimes because that's when people get hung up. The program you choose, the bank you go with, whatever it is, th- that can all be dealt with. But you've got to have the right perspective that uh, as much as it hurts, facing reality, in my opinion, is always better. That's when change happens. That's when the good stuff happens you know, the numbers are not going in the right direction for Western countries. It does not mean I hate the Western countries. It doesn't mean you have to hate them. Maybe you can go back and visit your country. Maybe you're not even ready to move yet. You just want a plan B. But acknowledging that there's a lot of competitive offerings out there and that your country in the time of not much competition got a little lazy, I think is a reasonable thing to do. And it's something that everyone should should handle to their means. You know, if you have If you don't have much money, open a bank account in Georgia, maybe get a residence permit in Latin America, Mexico, something like that. See how that plays out. If you have more money, do more stuff. Get citizenship in six months, get multiple residence permits, get bigger banks, make investments. The sky is the limit. But, you know, if you think, am I going where I'm treated best? Not better, not a little better, not how they tolerate me. Is this the best place for X, my money? my family, my safety, my whatever, and and act accordingly.
0: Fantastic. Well, I think that's a great spot to finish up. Andrew, thank you for joining me, and uh, I'm looking forward to hanging out in uh, KL. We will do it. Find the show notes over at five hundred. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please do share it out there, give it a like and thumbs up on YouTube, and give it a good review. Thanks, and I will see you in the Citadels.